Welcome. My name is Jenny Helms, and this is the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast. This is a podcast where we are interviewing therapists and other people around Kansas that want to talk all about psychology, the brain, and everything in between that's related to it. I create this show in my hopes of it being kind of a more informational and fun way of talking about these topics so that it'd be something relevant for therapists and their clients alike. So this is for the entire population, and I'm really excited to showcase this first podcast. I was very fortunate enough to interview Dr. Scott Stegman, and we talked about the most important thing in therapy. He is really awesome, and I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Also, I just wanted to do a little bit of a shameless plug that I do work with eating disorders, and we are opening up an intensive outpatient center in January, so be looking out for that. It's called Soma Recovery, and I can't wait to talk more about that in the future. But without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the podcast, and here we go. I'm here with Dr. Scott Stegman, and he is a PsyD and a licensed psychologist in the state of Kansas. What That's am right. I missing? <laughs> he's, he's got some other um, things to his name as well, but he's been in the field for... Oh, good question. Um, I got my doctorate in 2015. Okay. Before that, I had three practicums, four practicums, so four years before then, so since 2011. 2011, so it's been about seven years since you kind of started your journey with working one-on-one with people and... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, I think I've mentioned I was a a minister, I'm actually an ordained minister, Mm. and did a lot of work with people from that side of things for five years before entering the graduate school stuff. Did you originally think you were going to do more ministry-based Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I was a youth pastor, worked with a lot of teenagers, and actually through that work I realized I just didn't have what I needed educationally to help these families. Um, You know, I was able to to help them in, in the capacity that I worked under. I just didn't have the expertise to step in and really you know, work with their system the way that I wanted to. And so it's what led me to the, the graduate school stuff and deciding to go the psychology route. That's really cool. And I think it's amazing when people are able to have that sort of self-reflection where mm-hmm. they can say, I'm, I'm doing all that I can in this way, but I really? need yep. some additional training. I need some other stuff. So yeah, that's really, really cool. And that's a lifelong thing. You know, we always have growth edges and places to improve upon. This is true. We are all on that journey. So I'm going to go right ahead into our first four because it's kind of related to that question too. Oh boy. Um, number one is what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were like <laughs> in grade school? And then how did that evolve into yeah. you now being a therapist? And just joke like to the side a little bit, like I've been amazed by some of the jobs you have had that you'll tell me oh, that you've yeah. done in the past. So yeah, I have a, a varied skill set, right? I was yes. uh, I sold women's fashion for a number of years. <laughs> um, it started as like a boutique, mm-hmm. sold shoes, uh, handbags, jewelry, things like that. I enjoyed that job actually. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Got to go to conventions and check out the latest fashion and 
Uh, there's some crazy stuff out there. I can't believe what women wear. Yeah, uh, no you're going to need to help me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was cool. That was a fun job. Um, I've also worked uh, as a waiter. I worked for Red Lobster for a while. Um, I've, like I said, had the ministry position. But when I was a kid, I you know didn't foresee myself doing any of that. I, I guess, wanted to be a veterinarian. Oh, yeah? Um, so you liked animals a lot? Yeah, and... yeah. Loved animals. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to, to help animals. But... Mm-hmm. That uh, vision was kind of derailed. I uh, have a younger brother who has autism, mm-hmm. and I got to see some pretty cool stuff with people working with him and helping not just him, but really our entire family mm-hmm. uh, to function better and, and to understand his his condition and his needs. Um, and I guess through working and, and growing up and seeing that, I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to help other people. And uh, so I, you know, started in ministry, but uh, kind of weaved my way this direction toward therapy and psychological testing and all that stuff. Yeah, and no, that's really that's really cool. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, therapists can relate to either having their own kind of wounded healer story or yeah. being very close to somebody who yeah, was absolutely. very much impacted by sure. therapy. And I have my own stuff too, you know. Wait, no. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. No. Believe it or not, I do. <laughs> um, th- that's so true. This profession, you know, none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. and uh, It's an exploration in humanity, right? So we're, mm-hmm. we're on the journey too. That is for sure. All right, so the second one, what is, I, I say it as the worst, but uh-huh. what I'm meaning to say is like one of those moments you had in therapy where you were just like, man, I fudged this up <laughs> completely, and something you learned from. Oh, man. Are ethics boards going to listen to this? Uh, uh, I don't if they are, you can turn it <laughs> off for the next two minutes and then come back online. <laughs> um, you know, I've had a lot of different times where that's happened. Uh, I think my biggest screw-ups, though, are whenever I take my perceptions of things um, more seriously than than my clients. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that causes a big rift in what we're doing therapeutically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without getting into details, I remember having a recent client where, uh, you know, he was telling me some stories about stuff that was happening in his life. And I just kept scratching my head and thinking, no, it didn't really go down like that. Right. And, uh, they had, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's, that it was real life for him. And, um, uh, you know, every time that happens, I think, what was I thinking? You know, <laughs> whenever I, I stop standing in the shoes of my clients and um, start overanalyzing things, that's what gets me in trouble the most. Mm. Yeah. And that can be pretty easy to do yeah. sometimes. Yep. Yeah. For sure. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. Oh, never. Never. <laughs> I'm always standing in the shoes of my clients. Yeah. In fact, they're like, hey, could you get out? Because your feet are kind of in the way. <laughs> no, I, I definitely can relate to that. And, you know, just having your own perspective or your own ideas of what reality is kind of, yeah, yeah get in the way of things. Yeah. I think we can think too much of ourselves sometimes in this profession. <laughs> If we know yes. more, you know, professional, the clients are really the professional in their own life, right? Yes. They're the ones who've lived it. They know their background, their story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our job really is to come up alongside of them and walk it with them for a while. And so sometimes when I forget my role, I get myself into trouble. 
Yes. Well, you know, we all, as humans, have egos. and There you go. Um, oh, that word, ego. Ego, yeah. yes. No, I always have that in check. <laughs> and I think, I, I do think some people come into the field thinking that they're supposed to be all-knowing for their clients. Right. And yep. it kind of, that starts to impede their actual ability to help their yep. clients because yep. it becomes right. about them yeah. and not about their client. That's right. One of the so. most common things for new clinicians is feeling like they... Uh, aren't worthy to help or um, in a reaction to that, trying to be um, maybe overly professional or overly helpful. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It just gets in the way. It's not, it's not helpful. Yes. Yep. I definitely can relate to that. Um, What about your best moment in therapy? And so like, I know you're a pretty humble person, but I want you to brag on yourself or at least, Talk about a moment that you're like, yeah, I did that well. You probably sent me this question uh, to think about, and I I honestly haven't. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There's honesty. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's hard. You know, most of the time, I I think my clients do most of the work. You should have asked them, right? You should have pulled them. Like, what was my best? Yeah, what have I done well? Um, I don't know. I think it's little things. You know, for me, I think whenever I have genuine interactions with my clients, I'm able to be myself with them Mm -hmm. and connect with them on a real human level. And uh, when we can look at our lives together and say, there's been pain, there's been hurt, uh, it's been difficult, but dang it, we're still standing here and we're still moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that vulnerable, sensitive moment, finding a place of strength together. I think that's, those are the moments I'm most proud of. Mm. I can't say that I've had one of those in particular that I'm thinking of, but just times where I leave the therapy office and I feel like I get as much out of it as my client does. Mm -hmm. Those are my favorite moments. And those are the moments where I think I'm really doing my job. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to pinpoint a specific moment. It is. It is hard. Mm. Well, on the fourth question, or yeah, the fourth question, what's your spirit animal? Oh gosh, I hated this question. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, well, that's my wife. She'd probably say like a snake or something. But, a snake, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. Crafty. No, <laughs> no I, I have thought about this. Um, and I, it goes back to my wife because my wife's favorite animal is a panda. Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. panda. Pandas have it pretty good, you know. Don't they live in, like, tropical, like, jungle You know, I'm not an expert areas. on pandas. Are you sure? No. Because you look I, like you should know something I know, about pandas. I know. I should. Um, <laughs> I just know they're really they cute. They eat bamboo. Yeah, and they're cute, <laughs> they're right? Cute, so big. I think, you know, if I had, like, an aspirational spirit animal, that's what I would aspire to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you've ever taken, like, the Myers-Briggs, it gives you, you know, like, your code. Mm-hmm. And there's, believe it or not, there's a website where you can find animal correlations to your really? code yeah, yeah you're gonna have to send me that mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> so for my code i'm an infj uh-huh. and uh panda, panda is what there happens to be for that code i could see that yeah it's kind mm-hmm. of a rare code type and mm-hmm. um so yeah i think panda is my final answer panda is your final okay yeah <laughs> i feel like there should be like a buzzer or something <laughs> like, i reached for it you can't see me but i'm reaching for a buzzer Yep. So now that we've got the first four 
um, done, I want to kind of go into the meat of what we're going to talk about, which yeah. is the most important thing in therapy. Yes. And I'm excited. Yes. I'm excited for you to teach us a little bit more about that. Cool. So you asked me, you know, what I wanted to talk about and, and I'd said, we're going to talk about the most important thing of they, therapy. Yeah. You totally like, were um, like, yeah, I got yeah, this. And it's true. It's really true. <laughs> this uh, what we're going to talk about is extremely important and overlooked, I mm-hmm. think, both from um, therapists going into therapy and from clients. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever I get new clients, a lot of times they're looking for things they're not really sure what they're looking for. Uh, but if they knew to look for this, they might be better off. Mm-hmm. And that is the therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. That is the most important factor uh, according to research, mm-hmm. uh, for success in therapy. Okay. So can you help kind of put that into simpler terms? Because I sure. think sometimes we hear that phrase, but we're not quite sure exactly what that means. Sure. So the therapeutic relationship comes down to the connection uh, that you have with your therapist, the amount of trust that's there in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, a more technical term for it is the therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, basically that means, you know, what, what can that relationship withstand? How much trust is there? Uh, can the therapist have the gumption to speak truthfully, even if it's kind of a painful thing, mm-hmm. uh, about things going on in your life? And on the flip side, how much can clients reveal to their therapist? Mm-hmm. Uh, how much do you feel like you can open up with your clinician and tell them about the hurts and secrets of your life. Um, It's a hugely important factor, and Mm -hmm. it goes back to the very beginning of this practice of building a relationship that is going to be helpful for a person going through problems. That's that's what it's all about. Hmm. And so from the therapist's perspective, what's a good way to do that? Yeah. What's a good way to actually build... Or what are, are there traits? Are there yeah. certain things you can do to be sure. better with that? I think, and this is what I tell new clinicians all the time, I supervise some people entering the field. And I think the best way to foster a stronger relationship for the clinician is to take risks and be open, be human with your client. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel like we have to wear this mask of professionalism all the time. Mm-hmm. And the mask suffers. It it. It suffocates, that's the word I'm looking for, it suffocates the therapeutic relationship sometimes Mm -hmm. because we can be so cold and clinical and um, even if we're trying to practice those, uh, you know, Rogerian skill sets like warmth and acceptance and all those things, we can still close ourselves off so much from our client that it it prevents the therapeutic relationship from blossoming. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying have a boundaryless relationship with your client. That's not what I'm saying at Mm -hmm. all. Um, in fact, I think we can do this. We can enhance the therapeutic relationship and still maintain really good boundaries. So anyway, going back to your question, I mm-hmm. think that um, being human, being yourself, allowing yourself to come through and have gen- genuine human interactions with your client is the best way to foster that relationship. And another thing we can do is uh, check in with clients. Mm-hmm. You know, Be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to say, um, you know, how are you experiencing things with me? 
you know, how do I come across to you? How do you perceive me? And on the flip side, being able to say, um, you know, this is how I experience you. Mm-hmm. Uh, being present in the room and sharing about what's happening in that experience is a surefire way to turn up that connection. Mm-hmm. Would you say that there's anything different that the client would do from their perspective to enhance the therapeutic relationship? Well, one thing I think I would tell clients is um, when you're looking for a new therapist, look for someone that you feel a connection with right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be even more important than your therapist's credentials. Now, I hope they're credentialed one way or another, but <laughs> right. uh, it could be even more important than that. It could be more important than the therapeutic technique they're using. And so I think clients have a pretty good gauge on, can I work with this person or not? Can Mm -hmm. I trust them? Do I feel comfortable around them? Are they going to be someone who can challenge me? Mm -hmm. Those are questions I think you need to ask yourself. If you're trying to get into a clinical therapy setting where you're going to have effective therapy. Yeah. So on the, on the flip side of this, like those are things that Mm -hmm. are helpful in building it. Um, I know that there are going to be moments in therapy when that therapeutic alliance or there's like a break or a rift yes. in it because yep. of something. Um, what do you do when that therapeutic alliance isn't really working in that therapy yeah. session or it's it's broken for some reason? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So I think um, that when things like that happen, when rifts do come up, the most important thing is not ignoring them. Mm. Um, generally speaking, you know, we call this tear and repair. Generally mm. speaking, the thing that damaged the relationship isn't as important as how we address it. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. When we do something wrong, uh, which happens sometimes, believe it or not, or, <laughs> you know, if, if something just weird happens and the relationship feels awkward or, uh, you know, off to the wrong direction, coming back to it, And again, being honest and saying, you know, I just feel like something's weird between us. Um, Maybe I said something or did something that came across in a way that I didn't mean for it to. But I'd love to be able to talk about that if you're comfortable doing so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, bringing it back to the present moment, back to the present experience, and being willing to to address the problem. And for therapists, that sometimes means being willing to own responsibility for maybe something that you did or said that contributed to the rift mm-hmm. no that's that's so good so so good yeah so what if um what if you're like in a moment of therapy and you genuinely don't know what to do with the client next right <laughs> I don't know if you ever have those moments but All I know that it All definitely happens with me um and you know I've other therapists I've talked to <laughs> Um, but no, like what about those moments when you're just kind of in a a spot of, of genuine, um, questioning, what do we do do next? Yeah. I have that happen a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. I can think of times this last week where it's happened to me and it's an uncomfortable place. We want to get out of it. Right. (laughs) Um, sometimes I've even been tempted to say, okay, I think I think we're done here, you know, like, I'm not sure where we should go. So maybe we should just stop. But honestly, that's not probably the best way to handle it. What I've found to be the best for, you know, my work is Mm -hmm. to start uh, in your mind, retracing where you've gone, getting back to the simplest question of 
You know, what is this person here for? What do they need? Uh, where do they need to grow? And then what I'll do with my clients is I'll actually start at the beginning and kind of outline, hey, this is where we've come from. This is what we've done together. Mm-hmm. And by outlining that, by retracing our steps and getting back to the present, sometimes that outlines a new direction for the future, for where we should be going. And that conversation is usually really good with clients. Um, it's a way of, of retracing our steps from the past, but it also gives us a newfound sense of direction and course, energy, um, and sometimes encouragement, which I think we need sometimes. You know, we can grow stale, like, okay, where do we go next? Is this really getting us anywhere? If we can look and see, wow, actually, I have made a lot of progress here. Um, and, oh, yeah, we were going this direction. Then you're unstuck all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And for you as a clinician, when do you know when it's like this therapeutically isn't a good fit? Hmm. That's I mean, I know that would probably be t- tough for you because you... <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I get along with most everyone. So. Most ever. You're a pretty uh, likable person and, and probably are able to... Believe it or not, I've had find a few the best in all. that... Um, <laughs> you know, I'm human too. Uh, yeah. In fact, I just told a client recently that I couldn't work with someone because... Their particular diagnosis um, was something from my history that was just too close to home for me. I just mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't have clear vision. I couldn't have um, an unbiased approach. Mm-hmm. Not that we have to be totally unbiased, but it would have interfered with the way I interacted with this person. So in those times, I try to be honest about that, and that's really hard to do. But again, if we can be honest about it, sometimes we get through that honest reflection and at the end of the day we say maybe we can do this. You know, if the other person is aware of it and it doesn't become a hindrance to the relationship. On the flip side, maybe we bring it up and the other person goes, wow, yeah, I felt that too. Maybe it would be better if I was with someone else. Mm. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, You know, clinicians, we're here to help people. And part of that is being aware of our own weaknesses, of our own spots where we're not competent, where Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be practicing. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason that therapeutic alliance shouldn't be part of that awareness. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, we're just not forming that alliance. And I want the best for you. Therefore, maybe we should talk about that. So good. That's such a good response. Just going to marinate in that for a second. So good. (laughs) No, I love, I love that sense of, of integrity and humility and the fact that you're right. We won't Mm -hmm. be able to help every single person, even if we're super awesome and have a lot of skills, even then we just can't. Yeah. And it goes back to that vulnerability. You know, Mm -hmm. we like to be the professional. Mm-hmm. We like to be the ones who have the answers. And it takes a lot of courage, especially mm-hmm. with a client who is paying you to sit there and to say, I probably don't have what you need. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think on the flip side, I've I've seen a lot of clients that get frustrated because they come yeah. to therapy hoping right. you will give them the answer. Yeah. And they get frustrated when you're not giving, like, I mean, and I'm, I, I'll be the first to say this is... This is your processing, your yep. journey. That's You're, right. You know yourself way better than mm-hmm. I ever will, but I'm, I'm here to kind of guide and facilitate, but I can't give you those yeah. answers. And they, they 
come in wanting that. And yeah. so I think for clients to know that's mm-hmm. not and we know. what therapy is. We've yeah. worked with clients maybe where we've let that go on too long. Yeah. And generally I find that they end up dropping. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, think about that. They come in for therapy. They're looking for help. They're desperate enough that they called a stranger Mm-hmm. to sit with them and help them work through their problems and then to leave feeling dissatisfied that it just didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to help people, even if it means uh, being open with my shortcomings. Or maybe it's not a shortcoming at all. Maybe it's just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too. Being able to tell, tell people, hey, you know, I know so-and-so, and I just have a hunch that maybe you would be... Um, better suited to work with them. Mm. I think that's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's so good. Um, one of these was, was a question I was looking online, even just for questions about therapeutic alliance that other um, clinicians and clients have asked. Yeah. And one was about what you do when you have a mandated client. And mm. so they're kind of in this position of not really wanting to be in therapy with anybody, yeah. much less an awesome person. Yeah. <laughs> so like how... How would you go about building therapeutic alliance for somebody who doesn't want to be there yeah. but is mandated to be there? So this is what I call therapy jiu-jitsu. <laughs> you know what jiu-jitsu is? Yeah, like the... It's martial arts. Yes, martial but their arts. specialty in jiu-jitsu is to use the the opponent's... Of course, our clients aren't our opponent, right? So my, <laughs> my analogy is already falling apart. But to use the, the energy... Uh, against them, the momentum against them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a client like that, they come into the room and they don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. They are being forced to be there. They're mad about it. They don't like it. And you are part of the problem in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So we do a little jujitsu sidestep and we step into their world and we say, dang it, this sucks for you. You have to be here. You don't want to be here. What can we do to show so-and-so that you don't need to be here anymore? And all of a sudden, you have joined with them in their cause. Right. Not the mandation, but with Mm. their situation of having to be there and you're asking the question, what do we have to show that person to help get you out of here? Mm. Uh, It does two things. One is it joins with them, but the other thing is all of a sudden, you have a very tangible goal for therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're mandated to be there uh, because they're an adolescent. Yeah, and they, you know, they they have to do better in school. Yep. So all of a sudden, we have a concrete goal. Hey, let's just do what it takes. Do what it takes to help you succeed in this area of school. And as soon as you're done, you're done. Hmm. Uh, recently, I had a teenager where it was like that. You know, he didn't want to be here, and he, uh, you know, he was never thrilled about coming to session but we were able to identify a goal like that and we worked hard this kid worked his tail off to accomplish this goal we came to a better understanding of his personality and and at the end of the day you know whenever i said i held my end of the bargain i said hey you've accomplished your goal it's time to go and the kid was was genuinely happy with me not just not just a matter of like oh good i get to go but like yeah, you helped. You helped in this process. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going for. And you were on their side. I was on their side. The whole time. Yep. Now, okay, selfishly, I'm going to ask you because Uh-oh. I get certain clients. That, <laughs> um, it's it's easier to see a goal like g- getting better grades because I think most kids would say, hey, I won't, I'm not against getting better grades. Yes. But I get people where 
with eating disorders, they don't want to get rid of their eating disorder. Right. But getting rid of it is part of what it would take for their parents to, you know, yeah. not <laughs> be, um, be placing them in therapy. And so essentially, how would you navigate it differently if they are saying, you know, I... I don't want, I want to be able to keep my eating disorder and have my parents off my back, essentially. Hmm. That's a really good question. Because you wouldn't necessarily work to, well, at least for me, I wouldn't work to help a client be good at keeping their eating disorder. Yeah. So what is, what is it if the client's goal is in and of itself um, harmful to therapy is kind of what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want to be there. They don't want to get better. Yeah. Um, and they're mandated because their parents are forcing them to come when they're an adolescent. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, and I'm, of course some adults will kind of like, <laughs> it's weird. I feel like they kind of want to get help, but then there's yeah. a really large part of them that wants to hold on to that eating disorder, but they're not mandated. So, yeah. um, it's a little different. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't have a magic pill for that one for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, if I, you did, that'd be great. I, I'll take that, a whole, it whole kinda, model. The situation <laughs> reminds me of a client with an addiction mm-hmm. you know and they say well I'll do whatever but I'm not gonna stop drinking or I'm mm-hmm. not gonna stop you know this behavior um you know in my training what we're taught to do in that situation is again it part of the joining process is to do something called motivational interviewing mm-hmm. where we look at um kind of the pros and the cons and we don't judge either one we just look at them realistically and say, okay, well, let's see what the benefits are of keeping that eating disorder. What mm-hmm. is it doing for you? And by taking that stance, you're kind of taking their side for a minute and saying, yes. I, I want to know through your eyes, why is it that you see this as a good thing? Mm-hmm. I'm not judging. I just want to see. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, let's look at the other side of things. Let's just Step back together. Again, you're kind of joining with them in this process. Let's sit together and look at this out in front of us. And at the end of the day, you know, can you help a client who is refusing to do those things, to Mm -hmm. help themselves? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't force people to go through with that. It's not my style. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes through that motivational interviewing process, people can see, uh, yeah, maybe this isn't the best for me. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you still have an alliance with them and you can still do some good work. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I, I use a little bit of motivational interviewing. Yeah. Um, but I tend to do some more strategic stuff sometimes during mm-hmm. that and trying to... Yeah, because I really, I mean, even from a wounded healer place, I can empathize with where they're at. And so I think I kind of have a secret weapon in that where I can feel there are are parts of me that, you know, if I go back in that history, I can understand. Yeah, say, hey, guess what? I get it. Yeah. (laughs) And and to not just purely have this judgment of, like, why don't you just change? Um, Yeah, it's not easy. It takes tons of courage and Mm -hmm. it's painful. Um, I'm curious as to what you would do. What your se- so that's your secret <laughs> weapon. And it's part of it. It's, I mean, of course, every client is going to be a different experience, but I've found that usually, I mean, again, I will tell them, you know, hey, I can't force you to do anything, mm-hmm. right? Right. And I think sometimes that immediately helps them understand, like, I'm not here to force you. I want to I wanna get to know you. I want to understand you. I want to yeah. understand 
the eating disordered parts. Mm-hmm. Maybe the protective purposes they serve, how mm-hmm. they've served you well. Yeah, you know, and um, and not really expect you to kind of let that go until you feel yeah. safe to do it. Right. Until you have other options of getting your your needs met, and yeah. so That's yeah. Awesome. So good stuff. I mean, there's so many different ways. I mean, at the finality of doing things, mm-hmm. but I was just curious what, you know, I don't know if I maintain good therapeutic alliance or if I'm just a pain <laughs> in the ass, honestly, but, um, but that's kind of how I've approached it. Yeah. And, you know, luckily people haven't fired me too much. So. Sometimes we have to be a pain in the ass to maintain therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes clients know that they need to be challenged. And if we don't step up to the task, then we're not we're not cutting it right well and then i i think sometimes my clients trust me more yes when i'm able to challenge them in a loving way and again i don't know that i always do it successfully but when i do i think i can tell that they're like thank you for yes challenges can be a good thing for telling me Mm -hmm. how it is that's right (laughs) so yes no that's so good um what about i don't know if this would necessarily you would cut well I'd categorize this in the alliance, but what about counter transference or oh boy. attachment? Like how? <laughs> I mean, we're human too. So yeah, counter transference yeah. is this idea that we have reactions to our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, we're human. Yes. You know? And yes, it's true. We do. We have these reactions, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I've shared those with people before, actually. Mm-hmm. This one guy I worked with was the spitting image of my best friend growing up. It was weird. He was a doppelganger. Like, it was crazy. I wanted to take a picture and send it to my friend, but of course that would have been unethical, so I didn't do it. Right, right. um, But I told him. (laughs) And it was helpful because, you know, I I interacted with him in a way that was impacted by that feeling. Mm. You know, like I had known him for years, but I hadn't. Right. And uh, I didn't want that to get out of control, so I I shared that with him. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't weirded out by it or anything. He thought it was kind of funny. Um, (laughs) But I think just having that genuine human interaction enhanced our alliance, Mm. that I was sharing something that was important to our therapeutic relationship, Um, wasn't harming him, wasn't getting in the way of his therapeutic progress, but was good for our interactions. Mm. Um, so when it's appropriate, I think it's good to share those things. Mm-hmm. Now, you always have to ask yourself, is this for me or is this for them? Yes. You know? Good point. Uh, that's, that's a question that will help you with the boundaries mm-hmm. um, problem. But I think most of the time, uh, there's not a lot of obstacles to, to sharing that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of reminds me of something that, Bessel van der Kolk was actually talking about during our conference. Yeah. And he was like, man, is it tough when someone walks into your office? And I don't know if it was exactly like this kind of experience for you, but, and you're like, I want to be your friend. I don't want to be your oh, therapist. Man. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, you're such a cool person. Yeah. Such a cool human yeah. Being. There are tons of clients that I enjoy being with, you know, and we, we go through the gamut of interactions mm-hmm. with clients. You know, we can have attraction to our clients. Mm-hmm. We can feel angry with our clients. Mm-hmm. We can and uh, feel very checked out and uh, find it hard to engage with clients. Right. You know, we, we go through all of that stuff, and that's okay. And sometimes for therapists, it's good to, 
you know, being your own therapy and working through those uh, feelings and reactions and find out what is it that's bringing that up in me or to do that in, in supervision or with colleagues. Um, but, you know, if you can come to a place where you kind of know where that's coming from and and uh, you become more aware of how it's impacting the relationship, then, yeah, it's, it's something that's part of the therapy process. Mm. Well, and in this climate, too, I'm imagining, like, politics being brought up oh, and potentially yeah. feeling different than your clients. Yeah, oh, how all that stuff. All of that can get kind Political of Political reactions, oh, those are some of my favorite. Or, you know, I, I have a lot of training in, like, spiritual um, and Christian theological ideas. I mentioned earlier that I'd been a um, minister for a while. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that comes up. Yes. And I noticed myself early on in my practice that if anything um, religious were to come up in our, my sessions, I would withdraw. I would mm-hmm. just back into myself because I didn't want to influence my clients in some way. I didn't want to interfere with them. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be acting unethically. But in doing that, I was actually sabotaging the relationship. Mm. And so I've had to learn what it feels like to be able to express who I am and myself in a way that's not pushing on my clients, that's not proselytizing, that's not um, you know, putting them in awkward situations or, or power dynamic situations, but just in a way to, to be myself and still be connected through that process. That's so cool. So neat. I didn't even think about that spiritual piece, but yeah, yeah. it definitely mm-hmm. comes up yep. time and time again. And I, I wasn't a minister, but <laughs> yeah. I, I find that clients do often want, I mean, that's part of their journey. Yeah. And so to not, to not, you know, if you right. were to withdraw from it and not explore it at all, yeah. then it's, you know. it's not good. Yeah. You just have to sit and realize like, Hey, I'm human too. I have my own things that I bring to this conversation. And if we can be open with that instead of withdrawing, uh, man, it's it can do some really good things. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go into our last four questions. All right. And in that, there's one where, um, you know, if, if I didn't ask a question, then you can kind of, you know, say speak to something that we haven't spoken to that's important to you. Okay. Um, but the first one is, what is one thing you wish you knew when you started? Um, we just finished talking about it. It's this idea <laughs> that, as therapists, it's hammered into our head in graduate school that we have to be this professional. Mm-hmm. But I think it's equally important to get it in our heads that we need to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that is where the connection is going to happen. It's yeah. not through our professional facades. It's not through our credentials. It's, it's none of that. It's through who we are as people, and yes, we have our skill set that we bring to the table, and that's important, but it's also about who we are as people, people who have feelings and histories and backgrounds and people who relate just like any other people. Yeah, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. What is the best psych-related book for people in the field and yeah. then people outside of the field so i read that question i think before the interview and (laughs) i actually i so i don't know if maybe i'm cheating but i have one book for both oh yes Uh, perfect yes (laughs) it's called the gift of therapy by irvin yalom Mm. and yalom is a very well respected uh psychiatrist that is used you know his books are used for a lot of our training 
as therapists. Mm -hmm. This particular book, The Gift of Therapy, uh, challenges therapists and their patients uh, to really dive into this idea of the therapeutic relationship. Hmm. There are some great chapters in here uh, on how to use the here and now, on, um, let's see, I love this chapter titled Blank Screen, Forget It, Be Real. <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, revealing screen. here and now feelings. Hmm. Ooh, how about that? Yeah, that's Being vulnerable tough. about your feelings yeah. in session. Um, he had us a chapter that says, strike when the iron is cold. <laughs> strike when the iron is cold. Yeah, as a mm. principle for therapy, you know. Uh, it's an idea of reflecting back upon conversations outside of the heat of the moment. Mm. Um, teaching empathy. Create a new therapy for each patient. Mm, that's so good stuff in here that's so I mean, good Bessel van der Kolk said something along those lines yeah. too but that every client is so different and clients can gain a lot from this book too just mm. in learning uh, you know how they can enrich the therapy sessions and, and oftentimes clients don't really know what they're doing in therapy you know it's mm -hmm. a new experience for them they don't know you know what, what should I be doing in here should I just be talking is this a monologue uh, are we having a discussion are we learning skills and so this actually can be a primer for therapy and mm. uh, what to expect and how to interact and get the most out of it yeah and I'm sure there will be things that you know at least I know in my experience if I'm going through some of the readings and they're really hitting me mm -hmm. it helps me realize okay there's something about this thing that I should probably talk about in yeah. therapy right because um, I definitely am a big believer that if you're a therapist you know mm -hmm. It's good to have therapy or and or supervision. Definitely. So, yeah, that's really powerful. What about your favorite quote? I don't know if you have it ready to go. Oh, <laughs> epic fail. Um, my favorite quote. Or is there? Or can you remember the gist of it? Uh, no. <laughs> I, Keeping it that, real. That was another one that I looked at, thought about, completely slipped my mind. Mm. Um. Or, or maybe not favorite quote, because I feel like that puts a lot of pressure on it, but is there any sort of quote or saying that has resonated with you recently? Yeah. Um, boy. Let me think. People, I was asked this question as part of a graduate school interview once, and I blanked on that, too. I just, I don't, I guess I don't hold on to quotes very well. <laughs> Uh, so nope, I got nothing. Got nothing. Yep. Okay. You're going to screen this part out, right? No. It's, oh, dang it. it's great. I love the realness. <laughs> I love it. Cause that's so real. Like not every person is going to have a quote. Yeah. I'm really, tongue. <laughs> I'm not a quote person. Uh, you know? Yeah. And own that. Right. Cause like I, I wouldn't say that I'm a quote person, but I admire quote people yeah, or people that too. can put like things into little sayings. Mm -hmm. Like one of my supervisors is just so good at that, that I almost yeah. feel like every supervision I walk away, I'm like, you just laid down some amazing quotes there. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's, it's awesome. I used to have a professor who, who just lived on these things, you know, <laughs> he would, he would say things, uh, his name was Rich Butman and we used to call him Butmanisms. Butmanisms. Yeah. I, I like that last would, name. Uh, yeah. It was a good one. It was a good one, but he would say things like CBT, psychopharmacology and interpersonal therapy. And like, that was it's like a mantra for him. <laughs> just say these things all the time. 
but they were filled with such richness and gold and mm-hmm. um and i loved it but yeah no i'm not i don't carry clothes That's in my same. back pocket yep. unfortunately nope it's all good well okay so this is actually my favorite question because this is where i get to kind of learn okay um what's the question i didn't ask or something that was oh, important boy. like that you were like hey this is something i want to talk about but i just didn't have the uh wherewithal to sure the knowledge to ask um. Hmm. I think one of the biggest struggles that I've had in the whole therapeutic alliance thing is what happens when your client's values are different than yours? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that therapeutically? I'm talking deeper than... Um, politics. We're talking like on the levels of of convictions, of things that you feel like if this were changed, I would not be the same person. Mm. And that's been one of the toughest parts of my journey as a therapist is learning, you know, where do I connect with people who kind of fundamentally maybe don't see the world the same way I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see this on multiple levels. Like, if you grew up in poverty and you're working with someone from a rich background, mm-hmm. their whole life, the whole way that they view things is going to be different from mm-hmm. you. Or, um, you know, if you come from like a, a really liberal uh, background and then you, um, you know, you run into somebody who's like a fundamentalist, uh, maybe someone who's sternly religious and you don't come from a religious background, how do you deal with those discrepancies? We touched on this a little bit, but mm. I think this is, is just gold to wrestle with. Um, because I think it's in some of those relationships that I've learned the most mm-hmm. um, about life, about myself. I think it's very important for therapists to, uh, in their humanness, you know, find places of connection with people who are different from themselves. Mm-hmm. And that could be culturally different too. It could be racially different. Um, I find that those places of difference open my eyes to seeing the world in new ways. So that's something that I would bring up. It's challenge yourself. Even if it's uncomfortable at first, use that, that real vulnerability in session and allow yourself to step into it and to learn from it and grow. Mm, that's so good. Because, yeah, I think, unfortunately, sometimes we may miss serving parts of the population because mm-hmm. therapists tend to look a certain way or have a certain kind of background or have yep. a certain or a gender. You know, there's definitely right. a lot more female therapists out there typically than, yeah, than sure. male. And, um you know, typically a lot of different races and cultures aren't represented, at least here in America, yep. you know, and how do we make sure we're not missing people yeah. and I mean, being able to be good, good yeah. and expansive for a person who isn't yep. like us. Right. It goes back to what we talked about at the beginning and putting ourselves in their shoes. Yes. Being able to see things from their perspective, understanding life from their story and their narrative it's a challenging thing to do, 
But boy, if you can establish a, a good therapeutic relationship and work on that, it's good for everybody involved. I would agree. And I think my last question to that would be, you know, how, is there a specific practice or thing a person can do to, to get better at putting themselves in other people's shoes? Yeah. I mean, you know, practice makes perfect, right? So <laughs> just, just doing in, it in your there. personal <laughs> life, you know, going to grocery stores, you don't usually go to, hmm. um, you know, using humor to allow yourself the vulnerability of experiencing something different, trying new things, eating food you're not used to, taking trips, places that you don't usually go. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, be wise about it, but uh, I think you can grow and learn a lot from that. And you can stretch your horizons. So exposure, kind of, yeah. like exposing yourself to different yep. people, different foods, different ideas. Yeah. And I think just having a healthy curiosity. Mm-hmm. Not feeling threatened by things that are different, mm -hmm. but instead embracing it as a unique opportunity. Yes, even though it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely, it's hard. and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's good, though. Yeah, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Well, cool. Thank you so much for your time and wisdom. My I pleasure. think this was just so so many good things in there, and I'm just grateful to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome.